Hello, everyone, and welcome on into another episode of Betting the High Line, the only soccer betting podcast coming your way out of the Four Seasons Landscaping Company in Philadelphia. I'm Thomas Viola, joined as always by Taylor Wilson, powered by the Book It Sports Network. Taylor, how are you doing today? Doing great, Tom. Uh, we are into the, well, the depths of international breakwaters, and uh, hopefully we can throw some darts at the board and see what sticks the next few days. Yeah, that's really what it is this weekend. It's going to be just chucking stuff at the wall and seeing what happens. International break obviously really throws you f- through a loop in terms of your ability to bet because it's it's almost like betting preseason football, except you don't have the advantage of numbers to at least play on it. You're just trying to pick sides based on who you think actually wants these games for whatever reason. And even the teams that want these games, really, it's it's so much more in international friendlies about what these managers want to see versus actual results. And that really throws your ability to bet them through a massive loop. So we're going to get to that. We're going to also talk some uh, Premier League futures. We'll talk a little bit of the Champions League future market. Trying to find you guys a little bit more value and a couple numbers that are maybe worth taking a flyer on here as we're roughly approaching the quarterway mark of the season. It's a good time to take a step back. We don't have as many games to look at this week, so it's a point where we can say, hey, let's look at how these teams have been going and see how these numbers have shifted and if there's any value we can pick up. And, of course, The U.S. men's national team kicks off about an hour after we're recording this podcast right now. Very, for once, very excited to see how this is all going to go for for, for our U.S. men because all of a sudden we have a really strong, talented, young team to look at. And I am, for the first time in a very long time, excited for an international friendly, even if on the whole, international breaks are quite, quite terrible. But let's get started, Taylor. Taylor. Talking about our bets from last week and some good news. I am on the board thanks to that Southampton play on Friday. They got the dub there, getting my official record up to 2-1-8 and eight because my other two bets failed colossally. Uh, Jota, of course, did not score in Liverpool versus City, which ended in a draw. I was also taking Liverpool to win that one, unfortunately. And Juventus also gets an absolutely rough draw in Lazio. But Dortmund versus Bayern, I predicted they would draw, and a stoppage time goal also sank me there as Bayern got the win in Dirk Classicer. So another rough weekend on the board for me. How'd you do? Well, you're on the board, Tom, and uh, we applaud you for that. I can't really chirp either because in my best bets, uh, I went uh, once again under 500, one and two, minus one units for those week four uh, or the fourth week of this show's best bets. Um, it was another week, and this is kind of like, oh, sure you did, but there is audio to, to prove it, Tom, uh, where I did well outside of the best bets, but it was just those ones that I highlighted where I kind of struggled. So looking at the best bets, Southampton hit that money line. It always seemed too good to be true to get them at a close to even price. It was a nice 2-0 win for them. I had Liverpool at plus 240, really good value against City. That ended up being a draw. And then another Atalanta interrelated game. Of course, when they were playing each other, they would both screw me over. And I had the over in that game. Uh, and it ended up finishing 1-1. The, inter, the under hit um, a rare Atalanta under. And I've been on two of them so far this year, of course, with the Crotone game as well. So those are my two losses. The Southampton games, my win. I was 5-3 and three in the Premier League overall, but 
who's counting if I'm doing that in the best bets. I'm now overall four and eight in best bets. I'm minus three units, so it doesn't look as bad there, but still in the negative. Uh, we got to get it together with those highlighted bets, Tom. We really do. I'm two, one and eight minus six units at this point, but maybe this international break is a good time for us to just sit back, reset and get ready for more action. Let's dive in because some of there is some news out of the premier league. There's one specific piece of note that I think is going to affect a lot of these lines moving forward. And that is Liverpool losing yet another center back in Joe Gomez. He's going to be out for what looks like forever. Now he's, he's most likely going to miss the rest of the season. At this point, they're going to be calling us up to go play center back. Yeah, which, you know, I mean, I do have a mean right foot, but maybe not at that position. Uh, you know, Tom, I, it's never great news when, when you kind of have the headline where it's like, good news, maybe Gomez will be back by the end of the season. It's like, whoa, so maybe he won't either, right? Um, I saw that injury, you know, Liverpool fans, probably more than any fan base and a lot of club fan bases like to complain about the international breaks and, you know, too much football, right? Too much action. This break in particular, I think is somewhat cruel on these workloads with, you know, as heavy of a schedule as there was post restart last year, a short off season into this season. And yeah, it makes sense for like South American world cup qualifying. It makes sense for some of these nations, nations league games that are doubling as European qualifiers for next summer it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that some teams are playing three games in this break that some teams are playing an international friendly and then two nations league games to follow people's opinions on the nations league in general vary as far as how important it is um so definitely liverpool fans on social media completely upset with that news and the fact that he got it training for England, right? Like it wasn't that he was training for uh, one of their games. So um, it is one of those things where it's like, well, he could have gotten it training for Liverpool, you know, who, I mean, it is kind of just bad luck, but it, there is something to be said for how much footy is happening. Um, and, you know, some of these games are more important than others. From our perspective <laughs> with the, with the U S game, we're obviously very excited. Liverpool fans less so. Um, as for how that affects the overall future conversation, I didn't like Liverpool's defense to begin with. I certainly like it a lot less now. I think Gomez has been pretty inconsistent in his own right, to be fair. Let's not call him like, uh, like losing Virgil van Dijk, but it is losing a human body, right? It's losing a breathing center back that they had to fill in. And those the are in short supply for them now. And now the question is, like, do you move one of the star fullbacks who are so important going forward inside? Do you bring in one of these kids, which is probably the more likely option, um, considering that's what Liverpool has done now for years when they have to go into the kind of bottom of the bag? Um, we'll see. You know, sometimes this is an opportunity to find out that you have an academy star that you weren't aware of. Um, and that certainly has happened for Liverpool over the years. But for me, the overall conversation around them is still bad defense, a team that can score some goals. And a team in a league, Tom, with teams just full of flaws. You know, this is the biggest kind of saving grace for Liverpool. It's not as if you have a super team, Manchester City side, breathing down their necks. They looked okay in that Liverpool game over the weekend. But I think this is still one of the worst City teams that we've seen in a decade. You know, they could still win the title, which just shows how good we've seen City be over recent years. Um, but you know, Chelsea is climbing. We haven't really seen them do it yet against some of the big dogs. We can talk about some of these Chelsea numbers in a second. Um, Manchester United, of course, got back in the win column this past weekend, beating Everton pretty comfortably. What did we say last week, Tom? We said, ah, just when you think it's going south for, for United, they end up going right against the grain. And now they're just going to go against the grain again next time, right? We're going to be like, oh, let's bet United. And they're going to lose two out of three. 
Oh, completely. They are, they are the roller coaster team at this point. Ole is doing just enough to keep his job. He's like, he's almost like Jeff Fisher at this point where he's just, he's there and he's been able to consistently be okay for long enough that he just sticks around for a while. Like Jeff Fisher did for so many years, but you're completely right. We should jump right into some of these premier league numbers because with every team in the league being flawed this year, it really has opened us up to where this isn't going to be a two horse race. This isn't going to be a runaway train for anyone. As a matter of fact, just like everybody predicted Leicester city sits at the top of the table after eight matches played with 18 points right behind them, Tottenham Hotspur. And then you go Liverpool, the only team that you expect to be up in that, in that top four area. And they're followed by Southampton. Like that's our top four right now is Leicester Spurs, Liverpool, Southampton, and then five and six are Chelsea and Aston Villa where then you have to look down. City sits in 10th. Arsenal's in 11th. United's all the way down in 14th right now. Yes, it's early on in the season, but this means that there are some options here. And you can look at the fact that the betting favorite right now on DraftKings is a team sitting in 10th in Manchester City, who's plus 160 to win the league. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I will say this. um, One of these teams I mean a bunch of these teams like Villa for example right now is getting still way too much respect now I will say this going back to the weekend they thrashed Arsenal we haven't mentioned that yet now I did tease um this was kind of a game where I was like "Ah, I lean a no play maybe the the logic says Arsenal but there is something to be said for the value here on Villa now I didn't tease it officially so I can't take too much credit I also didn't touch it with my actual money but you could have got an Aston Villa minus one and a half goals at plus 1300 they won the game by three goals so you know but just just a reminder in this crazy prem season to think about some of these adjusted goal lines um but like right now the respect that Villa is getting on the futures market um you know plus 1100 to finish in the top four there's no way that they finish in the top four that should be like a 30 to 1 bet it's only 11 to 1 I know 11 to 1 sounds like good value but that is literally like that's an impossibility I'll tell you right now Villa is not finishing in the top four so then it becomes like well do you want to take one of these so-called non-big six sides do you want to try a flyer on those I will just plug some of my preseason moves for a second Tom with how well Southampton is doing I have a top 10 play for them and a top six play that I had preseason um, I got that top six move at 10 to one. It's now down to five to one. Um, I still don't love it, to be honest with you. There's a reason why it was 10 to one and I took it on the value. I like the top 10 move, but I would just urge a little bit of caution on taking one of these, you know, lead situations, one of these villas um, to go too high. Now, having said that, I also don't like taking Man City or Liverpool to win the league. As we've mentioned, with just the numbers, plus 160 City, plus 175 Liverpool, that is not enough value in general, no matter how much you love either of those teams. And I don't particularly love either of them to take for the full season. So I still think, and we've seen Chelsea. Did we talk about Chelsea at 16-1 to to win the league, Tom, at one point? I believe we did. Yeah, we, we talked about that here on the show. Now, you've lost a lot of that value. They're down to plus 750. I still think, and your time is running out, like if you want to do any kind of a Chelsea to win the league move, I think you got to do it now. You could even argue that it's too late. Um, I still think seven and a half to one is an interesting number for Chelsea considering how good they've looked. I mean, once again, they struggled in the early, like the first 10 minutes against Sheffield United over the weekend. But 
once they got into gear, this is a team that looks like the best passing team in the Prem, maybe the best attacking team in general. We knew that they had the pieces to possibly do that. They're doing this with a hurt Galicic right now with guys that are still trying to gel together. Ziek was only recently healthy and he now looks like a superstar. Um, if Chelsea truly does have the best attack in the league and they're now getting clean sheets with regularity as well, did not over the weekend, but only give up the one. I think you have to consider plus 750 as well. Now, of course, it's tricky when you're like, oh, man, I could have got it at 16. Do I really want to still take it? But, you know, the moment that Chelsea beats one of these big teams, because it's going to happen, Chelsea is going to beat one of the big six teams, and suddenly it's going to be like, whoa, Chelsea is, like, inside plus 300. And at that point, you know, for a full season bet, like we talked about this with Bayern Munich even winning the Champions League, that's not enough to ride seven or eight months of soccer. You know what I mean? Um, so I still think it's worth it for Chelsea, but like set your alarm. The clock is ticking for you to get some action on Chelsea. Now, hang on a second here though, because Chelsea, I'm with you. They were my preseason pick to win it all this season. They do look very good, but what about the team that's sitting in second place right now in the league? That's eight to one in Tottenham. It's an interesting one. I, you know, my Tottenham thoughts, Jekyll and Hyde for me constantly. The argument for me with Tottenham, well, there's two things to look at. One is Harry Kane health, right? We have seen very few kind of full, healthy, 9, 10, 12-month stretches from him. Son has looked incredible as well. Um, that team's balling out. You know, they've looked really awesome. And the other aspect is the Jose Mourinho year 2.0 syndrome, right? There's this yes. Jose Mourinho idea where he comes into a team, it takes him about a year to kind of get his, both his tactics and his personality ingrained in the locker room. Then in year two, everyone's gelling, right? The footy is really good. And then in year three, it all goes south because he's alienated, you know, three quarters of the roster. So, Oh yeah, it's the Jose cycle. You can't have him on a team for that long, but we are hitting that peak now. We're hitting into year two, and this is traditionally where his teams start peaking. So it's a question of if they can ride this high all the way out in the season. They are going to be a roller coaster, but I, I don't know. At eight to one, I think that they're a roller coaster that you have to consider getting on right now, especially because they are in second place in the league and they do look like one of the most complete teams out there. I'm not going to touch them for this reason. And I think the Jose card would be the argument fully. Um, you know, the possibility that they have two of the five best players in the league in Sun and Harry Kane, maybe two of the best three <laughs> at times is another argument. Um, my counter to all of that is let's just consider plus 800 and plus 750 to be virtually the same number for the sake of argument. Chelsea is such a deeper team. Now, that the is questions true. with Chelsea before the season were chemistry-related, were still poking holes in Frank Lampard's philosophy, and I think there are still a lot of questions to ask of him. You know, I would still take Mourinho over Lampard at this point um, with all of the experience and all of the trophies that Mourinho has won as a manager compared to the, you know, the novice status of Lampard still. But just, you know, again, Chelsea has had early adversity with this group. Galicic is... I hate to say this to the American listeners, kind of made of glass, you know, like this kid yeah. gets hurt a lot. The last injury was something he picked up in training. I don't know what's happening in, in pre-match training, I should clarify, like minutes before the game. I don't know what you're doing before a game where you can get hurt. This is not the first time he's gotten hurt before a game like that. Um, but also like Chelsea has been playing a lot of the same kids from last year in some of these games, Tammy Abraham, Mason Mount, 
Reese James. These are academy players that a lot of Chelsea fans didn't expect to be regularly playing in this group once they went out and spent hundreds of millions of pounds. So the fact that they're still playing at a high level, all of these kids with the new arrivals, just shows me that Chelsea can last a medium to deep Champions League run and a Prem run better than just about anyone in England. Um, and I think they have the goal scorers, they have the playmakers. The question for them, of course, remains the defense. And I know that sounds insane with all the clean sheets they've racked up. That remains the question against the top strikers in the league. Because Burnley and Sheffield United, you give up one yeah. goal combined against those two teams, it shouldn't mean anything, right? Um, what can they do against the top strikers in the league? They got a clean sheet against Manchester United, but they played so defensive. That was a classic, like, let's throw 10 guys behind the ball, see what happens. Can they play their style and keep getting these clean sheets? That's the question. But for a month plus now, we've seen enough from Chelsea. I love the depth that they have. I think 750 is still – I like that more than 800 for Tottenham. Um, again, there's a little bit of, like, regret. Like, oh, man, you could have gotten it at 16. You could have gotten it even higher than that. I do have some Chelsea preseason plays that I'm writing. I have uh, – well – I had Chelsea top four just for like a slight plus price at plus 110 because I think that that seemed like a close to guarantee. Um, and then I had Man City finishing first, Chelsea finishing second, exacta 11 to one, um, which, you know, not impossible, completely yeah, in that's, play. That, that's definitely still in play. I'd agree with you. Also worth shouting out for Chelsea is Eduardo Mendy's play in goal. He's been a significant improvement over Kepa. Oh, big time. Well, I mean, you, you know, you or I could have gone in there over Kepa and been an improvement, but yeah. Mendy's actually been pretty damn good. And uh, it's amazing. You know, the thing with goalkeepers, people think of like shot stopping. They think of the highlight reel saves and all of that's important. And Mendy's had a couple of those so far, but a lot of it is just instilling confidence in the guys in front of you, you know, making sure everyone's organized, having the communication and Kepa had none of that. So Mendy, while he's, Mendy's not the most vocal guy either. He's certainly no petter check and like yelling guys faces off, but he is a guy who knows how to organize his back line, which I think is the biggest thing for Chelsea right now. Exactly. They need a leader back there. Someone that can, so, someone that can rally the troops and be that quarterback of the defense that we talk, you, you talk about it in football, but it's so important in soccer as well. The goalkeeper, one of his main jobs is to be calling the shots and is to be coordinating and making sure that the team knows what they're doing together. Now you said that Chelsea could make a champions league run. What do you think of them at 20 to one to win the UCL? Or is it just that Bayern is such a good looking team? that you don't that, that it makes you hesitant to take anyone else's futures because Byron is such a prohibitive favorite on the field and on the books at, at plus 250 to win it all I'm willing to take a worse price with Chelsea once I see them against it's the same prem logic once I see them against better competition in Europe you know it, it's becoming increasingly clear that their draw it was clear at the moment but it looks even easier now that they've actually played these games. Krasnodar is not very good. Ren in France, not very good. Sevilla is okay. But if that's your biggest competitor compared to some of these other groups, um, Chelsea got a really easy go of it. So it's similar to this Prem run, you know, where they've been beating Burnley, they've been beating Sheffield United. Um, I like, I love that price. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're making me excited with that price. I'm willing to like even cut that in half at the round of 16, maybe the quarterfinals, after I've seen Chelsea against some better teams. 
Yeah, I think that uh, first off, you have to wait a little bit until we get out of the group stage, and then the futures market is going to reset itself. But you're right, they might be a team worth jumping in on at a shorter price for a shorter investment period of time, too, after the round of 16, seeing what happens once they play one of these good teams. And at that point, you're hoping that they win the game, but don't really blow them out so as not to juice the juice the price up too much. Now, you have some plays around the we, – we, we talked early in the show about the fact that this is a grab bag this week with the international break and the friendlies. You're, it's like betting preseason football without the lines. Do you, what, you do have some plays this weekend, though. Yeah, the good thing about uh, even a, a preseason game in a normal NFL year, a non-COVID NFL year, is maybe you have some hard knocks episodes. Maybe you have, you know, you have a bunch of uh, beat reporters out of the training camps every day. Like, it's, there's a little bit less access when you're talking about national teams that are only together like one or two days before the game is even played. Guys that are being flown in from far-flung corners of the world coming in on overnight red eyes and hopping right onto the pitch. Um, the international scene is crazy, especially nowadays with just so much action. Now, having said that, there are a couple of interesting moves. I want to just warn people, like the biggest thing with all of this in the competition, depending on what it is, is sample size. You know, it sounds like I'm stating the obvious, but you want to have seen the team for a few games. You don't want to be betting on like the first game in the new qualifier. I'll say the same thing once CONCACAF gets to its final round at some point in 2021. We, we still have no idea about a lot of those dates. Um, so the only one that's been consistently going and the only region that doesn't have like a super convoluted, overly complicated qualification process is South America. Con, uh, Conmebol, which basically there's 10 teams and the top five uh, have a chance to qualify. Now, so far we've had two games. So we had that one international break, two games. We'll get two games this time around. Those will be four of the 10 games uh, going into the competition. Um, I love one of these plays and there's another play that I'll probably backtrack out of as we talk through it, but let's talk through the play that I love. Colombia and Uruguay uh, going over, over two and a half. You get a plus price, plus 118. Love that number. Love it. Colombia beat Venezuela 3-0. They then drew Chile 2-2 in a game that really should have had more goals. Um, it had some controversial penalty decisions, some controversial non-penalty decisions, a lot of beef, as there always is in South American qualifying. Uruguay, they beat Chile 2-1, then they lost to Ecuador 4-2. So, this number would hit the over in every one of those games. Colombia is high flying right now. The biggest question for them is the James Rodriguez health. As we mentioned, um, a bit of a bruised testicle situation there for him. Godspeed, Mr. Rodriguez. Uh, but they, you know, it doesn't really matter with them as much as it used to, as far as like how good James is on the day. Colombia used to be like, how well is Falcao playing? How well is James playing? Now yeah. they have great strikers and they have great midfield depth. So you have guys like Zapata and Muriel coming in from Italy, playing together at Atalanta, who have looked great in qualifying as well. I love this Colombian midfield. I think it might be the best midfield in South America. And I think Colombia is the second best team right now in South America, even better than Lionel Messi's Argentina. So keeping all that in mind, I think Colombia could hit this over on their own. It's worth taking a look at Colombia on the goal line as well, minus one and a half. Uh, and in fact, I might take both, but the play that I'm circling as one of my major plays of the week is this over two and a half. I think that's a very solid number to get a plus price at 
uh, in Colombia, Uruguay. I, I really am inclined to agree with you just on the fact that Colombia has been looking like a fantastic team. And if they can carry this form into the World Cup, that would be just absolutely phenomenal for them in terms of coming out as one of the stronger performers and who knows about even potentially going all the way. It would take, you know, a little bit of luck, but it always does. But this is a team that's got a generation that's on the come up and it's kind of impressive to see because you'd think that Falcao would have been the guy to lead all that. And now it's, it's, it's the young generation that's come up after Falcao that are going to have really the best chance. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just also think like, um, you know, we overlook how important balance is on a team. Um, and this yes. is true at the club level. This is true at the national level. Um, you know, we talk a little bit about defense. We talk a lot about strikers and goal scorers. And, but that's, uh, but that, that, that's the crux of the point with it. The reason like a team like Argentina doesn't do well right now, you exactly. have the best player in the world in Lionel Messi and you have a lot of amazing players around him. But the problem is that all of your amazing players play offense and you can't field nine strikers in a game. Exactly. And that's been the case for two plus World Cup cycles. I mean, oh, honestly, yeah. the, the fact that they made the World Cup final in 2014, a lot of people constantly, you know, there's this whole Messi versus Maradona, the whole like, um, like, ah, oh, Messi can't do it on the big stage, even though, of course, he has plenty of times with Barcelona, but can't with Argentina when Maradona won two World Cups, which is a tough player to be compared to. He's one of the greats of all time. Um, but you look at the talent that Messi's had around him, you look at the managers he's had, you look at all of the chaos of that federation. Um, it really is kind of astounding. I make the similar case to like what LeBron James did with the Cavs team that on Cavs 1.0 when he made the NBA finals with that team, but lost yeah. with the supporting cast that he had around him. Very similar to what Messi did making that World Cup final in 2014 and only losing 1-0 in the final. So uh, I, I totally agree with that. I think that's a perfect assessment of Argentina. Um, and it's part of the reason why, like I said, I think Colombia is a better team than Argentina right now. I think Argentina is kind of an unbettable team um, because the books have sort of caught up to this effect, but you're not going to take them just on pure money line because there's no value there either. Um, and the bottom of South America often in some of these games is bad enough where you don't want to take those teams either. So uh, yeah, you look at some of the mid-range games, but I prefer to take teams in kind of the Colombia, the Chile, um, occasionally like the Paraguay, Peru, range Uruguay, because those are the games where you can kind of find a little bit more value in the margins. And by the way, you're completely right about that 2014 World Cup run. Some people, myself included, love to pull out the stat. Julian Green has more knockout stage goals in, in World <laughs> Cups than Lionel Messi does. But Messi truly did play transcendentally in that World Cup. That was a special performance, and he put that team on his back and carried them the whole way there. It just didn't show up on the stat sheet because sometimes Messi's play doesn't show up on the stat sheet like that. It's about the chances he creates and the way that he makes those teams better with and without scoring the goals himself. Now, moving on, though, what, uh, do you have any other plays? So this is one where I... Um, that sigh. That yeah, sigh yeah, of yeah, yeah. despair. Well, you know, we, we've seen what's happened. Let's talk about Neymar for a second, right? Because we've seen what's happened with him uh, and PSG. Um, PSG with Neymar versus PSG without Neymar. Those are two very, very different stories. Um, Brazil, the story of Brazil often has been a similar situation. And yet, 
And yet they're not going to have him for this international break. The timeline supposedly is that he'll be back for club duty afterwards. I assume he's staying in Europe. Uh, maybe not. Maybe he's just on vacation somewhere. Um, quietly, perhaps due to COVID violations. <laughs> we'll see if that pops up on social media. Um, but Brazil's not going to have it. So this is a no Neymar Brazil. The catch though of this game is it's against Venezuela. And I watched every minute of the Colombia-Venezuela game, the first match for both of those of qualifiers, last international window. And Venezuela is terrible. This Venezuelan team is really, really bad. Joseph Martinez still hurt. If they can inject him into the team, maybe they convert the half chance that they have a game into a goal. But I still am going to take Brazil to thrash Venezuela. And maybe some of the narrative becomes, oh, they don't have to rely on Neymar as much. It'll just have to do with Venezuela. I'm taking Brazil minus two and a half goals in this game, not because of Brazil as much as because of Venezuela, even without Neymar. That is a big, big number, but I like it. Um, and, And it goes back to your conversation about balance, though, and the fact that this Brazilian team desperately needs Neymar. I mean, we, of course, saw in back in 14 what happened when they didn't have Neymar, and they had to go up against the German buzzsaw and how that all turned out. That's that's one for the history books. But this still is a team that's trying to figure that out in the same way that having a having a world-class, truly top three players in the world player in a Neymar or a Messi, it can hurt your international team because you just get so dependent on them and you just lean on them. Portugal's the only team that's kind of figured it out where they were able to go into the Euros and win despite Ronaldo not really actually playing in that game because he, of course, went out with injury early on. But that Portugal team is the only one that's figured out how to be competent and stand on their own two feet without their best player. Although the, yesterday against Andorra, they were struggling a bit, so they subbed him on at halftime. And from there, that was all she wrote. They were up like 5 nothing in the 70th. Helps to play Andorra. Helps to play Andorra yeah. for sure. <laughs> you know, the Brazil thing also, though, like this will be a time these next couple of games where, you know, Philippe Coutinho and actually to some degree in recent weeks, Roberto Firmino have been uh, under a little bit of pressure from their respective club fan bases that they're maybe not quite the same player that they used to be. In my opinion, Coutinho hasn't looked like the same player uh, he was in Liverpool ever post-Liverpool career. Firmino, I I think, has been a very underrated player um, in past seasons, but maybe a little bit less relevant in the current Liverpool setup. Regardless, both of those dudes are going to be some of the ones that need to step up. Um, And I, you know, sometimes getting away from any kind of club struggles, not to say that either of them are struggling mightily at club um, can really help you, especially when you get to go back, you know, maybe you're able to see your family for like an hour and then go and thrash a team like Venezuela could be a confidence boost for both of those guys. So keeping an eye on that, who will step into the Neymar hole? I think it's enough. By the way, I didn't even mention this. Plus 143 is the price on that. So not even incredible value, but there is a nice plus price on that as well at uh, minus two and a half goals. But again, Venezuela, really, really bad. Um, Colombia should have won that game against them five or six nil. Won it three nil. Uh, I'm taking Brazil to do enough on a ridiculous goal line. Now, that's all well and good, Taylor. Excited to see what's going to happen down in South America because that's one of those areas where, you know, you could actually see some players coming through and see some teams that 
have real legitimate shots to be World Cup winners. So now is the time to be looking into them and saying, hey, maybe we're looking at these teams now, getting that research in for the Copa America and for the World Cup coming up around the bend. I can't wait for it already. But there's one game that really has to stand out to us more than any other. One team that we have to talk about, and this isn't even so much from the betting angle, but we got to do it. News also just broke that's going to be very old by the time that this podcast drops because this will drop after the game. So it makes our conversation a little bit tougher as I lengthen out this tease. But Eunice Moose is getting the start for the U.S. in a last-minute lineup change. Craig Berhalter just put him in. And, oh, man, this team looks exciting. We are young. We are fast. We have talent now. We've got guys like Gio Reyna who can be X-factors in the years to come. And this is, this, this is building a foundation right here. Some of these guys are going to be the leaders of this team in 26 when we host a World Cup on home soil. And so for, for those reasons, more than anything else, I am excited to see what this team can do. We're playing in a super young roster. We're going up against Wales. What are you looking for out of this game? A couple of really interesting games. I will say, like, most international friendlies, even with the U.S., I'm excited for just because it is really, it's less about the result. You alluded to this earlier, Tom. It's about what players are going out there, how they're playing, how they're linking up, how their club form is translating to country, what the chemistry looks like, and also what Greg Berhalter's tactics look like. How is he trying to approach these games? Um, who are some of the players he's trying to lean on? All of that stuff I'm trying to keep an eye on. By the time all of you are listening to this, I assume the U.S. will have thrashed Wales 5-0. But <laughs> if it didn't happen, there will be another fun uh, Panama game coming up next week, which, interestingly enough, taking place in Austria. A couple bits and bobs for folks, um, if they're not aware. This is almost exclusively a European roster, which in and of itself is unique. That is to say, players that are based in Europe. Part of that has to do yeah. with, with the health crisis that we're in right now. Um, little hard to ferry players back and forth across continents if it's not completely necessary, which I guess we're considering uh, World Cup qualifiers in South America <laughs> completely necessary. But um, one MLS player did come in late. That's Sebastian uh, Legette, who came in for, uh, I believe, Pulisic, I assume, because Pulisic went back um, yes. to London after training a little bit. He wanted to kind of be with the team, but he was never expected to play after picking up the injury I mentioned earlier in the show. Um, so Legette starting that game, we won't pamper too much on um, what's happening specifically in the Wales game. But I will say just overall in this break for the U.S., Musa, who's starting in that game, is one of the biggest question marks and kind of things to look out for in general with the U.S. going forward. And it's not just him, it's Giacchini as well. It's these players who are still not cap-tied with the U.S., who can play in international friendlies, but also then choose to play at other teams. Right. So in Musa's case, he's a 17 year old who was born in the U.S., grew up in England, plays for Valencia in Spain, could play for England, Italy, Ghana or the U.S. Yep. Everyone following he's got four Good. different options. Yeah. Uh, hopefully everyone at home could follow that. So <laughs> it is a huge deal, though, that Berhalter was able to get him into the squad to give it a try. Like this was something that was not even on a lot of people's radars in the last year or two that was seen as a possibility, even though he was born in the U.S., he didn't grow up in the U.S. at all. He moved to England at a really young age. So being able to recruit him into the team, this is something the French national team, defending World Cup champions, 
have done really, really well over the last decade is recruiting people who have some kind of link to France to play for the French national team. Now, obviously the history of the US men's national team is not quite as prestigious as that of France. France won a World Cup in 98, they've now won two. But increasingly, when you're seeing all of these US players playing abroad in huge situations, Gio Reyna at Dortmund, Pulisic at Chelsea, Weston McKennie at Juventus, um, now Serginho Dest at Barcelona. Um, it, I mean, it's insane that you can now field this entire roster, basically, of all guys who are playing as regular players at massive clubs in Europe. I'm trying to see how now all of them coming in together, first game in nearly a year, how all of them mesh. And also, can the U.S. hold on to the Musas, to the Gio Akimi, tough name to pronounce, uh, guys going forward? Um, those are my questions. And also, like, what is Burhalter trying to play? You know, beyond formation, how is he trying to use some of these players? We know Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney are really versatile midfield players who have played in a variety of roles throughout their whole career. So what is their role going to be with the U.S. men's national team? That's the question for me. I think one of my thing. Uh, I think one of my issues is the fact that we have three strikers on the bench and not a single one in the lineup. But the problem is that we don't really have a ton of striking talent. That's the biggest question mark on this team. We have a really strong midfield, but like you, like we said, it's about balance and who is going to be that X factor goal scorer for this team. Yeah. Well, actually, so I, I, I said the um, legit inclusion was because of Pulisic. I believe it's actually because of. Speaking of guys who could maybe do that role, Josh Sargent is not in on the team this break um, because he was not granted release from his club in Germany due to coronavirus restrictions there. So he was not – even though one of the games is in Austria, literally a border yeah. away, um, he was not granted release. So we're not going to see him. He was a guy at one point that was assumed to maybe be able to step into that role and, and, and turn into kind of a true number nine for the U.S. Um, that's the question mark for sure. You have all of these versatile midfield players – the back line is starting to, be, to really come into form in a way that maybe even two years ago we wouldn't have thought. Um, good fullbacks, which is something that's so important in the modern game, it really is the finishing. And this isn't the first time we've said this about the U.S. either. We've seen this at major tournaments too, where it's like, oh man, playing pretty well, but just need to put the ball in the back of the net and it ends up coming to bite them. So absolutely, I'm looking for that as well. Like I say, all of you are listening to this after the U.S. won 5-0 against Wales. So uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I'm correct on that crystal ball prediction. But um, I'm definitely looking out for that. I will say this also, just from a gambling perspective, Tom, when we finally get numbers for the Panama game, which is happening uh, next Tuesday, I would keep an eye on, you know, you, you teased one of these plays last week, the, the Jota first-to-score move. Mm -hmm. there's a lot of value here. Now, I'm not saying this is a way to consistently make money. There's value for a reason. But considering, like we said, these games are such crapshoots to begin with, you know, I, I look at, like, before the Wales game, Giacchini was 11-1 to to score the first goal. I thought he might start up top. Now, thankfully, I <laughs> uh, have seen the lineup since that and know that won't be the case. But maybe you wait for the lineup and kind of like a rare sneaker release, you're, like, ready by your computer to, like, plug in the the bet once you see who's <laughs> starting in there like the second after it comes out but I also don't think those are going to change too much um so those are the kinds of moves I'd take an eye I'd keep an eye on um I probably wouldn't bet a U.S. result either way especially in a U.S. book you're not going to get a, 
proper number anyway. There's going to be a lot of public moving that, which is something to keep in mind with uh, international betting, especially. It's not like club betting where it's like, oh, the Los Angeles market has really uh, completely changed, uh, you know, or whatever. Los Angeles wouldn't be a good example, but uh, Iowa City has, hasn't uh, changed the Iowa football line or whatever. Um, you have the entire country, right? Or at least people in places where they can get available wagers. So um, keep that in mind. If you want action, you want action. I can't stop you. But I think some of those props are more interesting. I can agree with you on that. I, I, I wish that this show was coming out before. Uh, I wish we, we, we were able to get the show out before the Wales game because I am hammering the U.S., especially given the lineup for Wales. No Ramsey, no Bale, not even on the bench, by the way. Oh, They've got like three <laughs> yeah. players I've ever heard of on this team yeah, yeah, right yeah. now. Forget the everything US I said a- about this game. If, you're, if you somehow like have access to the early feed of this show and, and yeah. are listening uh, to the raw edition or are listening in beside my apartment right now as we talk about this, uh, yeah, I would fully agree with that, Tom. Fade yeah, I, 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 I full sent this, especially because of the fact that uh, the U.S. is a plus 175 dog at BetMGM. Yeah. No, I mean, like, good value. Yeah, I, t- I, I took that all day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, look, I, you know, we know Pan- Panama, just talking about that game specifically for a second, has been a thorn in the U.S. side before. But you might want to consider a goal line, if you can, an adjusted goal line, if you can get a decent number on that. I just think the money line, I would imagine, won't be good on that. But we won't be talking until after that game's been played as well for the next yeah. time. So who knows? However, next week we will have a lot of exciting MLS play to talk about because the MLS playoffs will be starting. So we'll get a look into those games, the futures market, all of that for the playoffs. We'll have a very special guest joining us. Don't want to release it just yet. Stay tuned on Twitter to find out. We'll tweet it out from uh, our personal accounts. I'm TV at work. Taylor, you are ATLT Will. There it is. He got it. He finally got it. <laughs> yeah, it's like a um... – you know, it's like a, a code. You gotta, you gotta really work for it to follow my esteemed Twitter presence. But yeah, A T L T W I L. There's just one L in T Will. Exactly, because it's got to be thrown off even more. And of exactly. course, you gotta follow Book It Sports at Book It HQ on Twitter at Book It Dot Sports on Instagram, and. Also, download the Book It Sports app. It is super awesome. I am loving it now that it's finally out and available to the public. It lets you track your bets. We're still waiting on getting soccer lines into it, but I'm told by our esteemed friend, Nick Yall, they are coming soon. We have uh, – it, it combines social media in there really well. I am actually on my way out to go – we can't even call it tweet out, but we got to figure out what it's going to be for posting. We need a name for posting stuff there. Uh, I'll be tweeting out my plays for the U.S. game and more there, so you can check us out. Uh, you can follow me on the Book It Sports app at TV at Work as well. Taylor, are you the same? Uh, so I, I actually, <laughs> right now, to make things even more confusing, although I, I can change this if needed, I'm just T-Will, so T-W-I-L. Um, you can find me there on the app. And definitely go ahead. I mean, it's a free download. So like, if you don't yeah. have it yet, what do you have to lose? Just hop in there, download it, play around with it. Um, really easy interface, Tom. Really enjoy hopping in there. And uh, yeah, maybe people will follow your US action. It's only getting better. Uh, be sure to listen to all of the other amazing podcasts that we have here on the Book It Sports Network. Thank you so much to them for really being our backbone and supporting this show. 
It's been another awesome episode. No best bets today simply because of the fact that it's not going to work out to the point where you're going to be hearing this when you could bet on any of these. So we'll take the break from our abysmal best bets and hopefully let it ride with some of these good ones that we got going. Excited to see this U.S. national team game coming up in about 30 minutes for us here. We'll be talking about it next week. Plenty more. For Taylor Wilson, I'm Tom Viola saying see you guys next time.